Welcome to the new Arab Voice, our podcast bringing you compelling stories and deep dives from the Middle East, Africa, Asia, and beyond. The holy month of Ramadan is a special time for the nearly 2 billion people who profess the Muslim faith around the world. It's a spiritual time of fasting and worship, but also a family and community celebration and charity. In Ramadan, believers fast from dawn to dusk and then gather around a family or community meal each evening during what is Islam's holiest month, which begins in most countries on Friday and ends with the feast of Eid al-Fitr. But due to the coronavirus pandemic and the social distancing measures in place across most countries with large Muslim populations, many will find themselves struggling this year. From cancelled iftar meals to suspended communal prayers and reported shortages of traditional foodstuffs for the month in lockdown countries, Muslims from the Middle East and North Africa to Asia, Europe and beyond are bracing for a very bleak Ramadan. More dispiriting for many devout Muslims is the banning of congregational worship, including the Taraweeh nighttime prayers, in mosques across the world. Even in Mecca, Islam's holiest site, where crowded taraweeh prayers are broadcasted live during Ramadan every year, worshippers have been told to pray at home, with the holy mosque almost completely shut down, a move unprecedented since medieval times. In this episode of the New Arab Voice, we want to highlight how Muslims all over the world are coping with the sudden change of circumstances and how they're finding creative ways to keep alive the sacred practices of their faith during the holy month of Ramadan. We will also be speaking with UK-based general practitioner, Dr. Milad Hili, who has all the answers to your health-related queries surrounding Ramadan and COVID-19. When fasting during the holy month of Ramadan, it's so important that we fast in a way that won't be detrimental to our health. There's a right way of fasting and a wrong way of doing so. At the end of this episode, I'll speak to my colleagues from the New Arab Newsroom who have been preparing earnestly for Ramadan to understand how they are coping with the loss of communal spaces and being cut off from extended families and communities. Lastly, you'll hear my chat with my colleague and vegan food aficionado, Diana Alghul, about why food is important to keep your body and mind healthy during this Ramadan. It's important to take care of your health in Ramadan because Ramadan is supposed to be a time of introspection. It's a time of like trying to work on who you are mentally, spiritually and also physically. From Morocco to Indonesia, religious authorities have ruled that communal prayers during Ramadan and Eid al-Fitr must be performed at home. In recent weeks, an eerie emptiness enveloped the sacred Kaaba, the large black cube draped in gold-embroidered cloth at the heart of the Grand Mosque in Mecca, towards which Muslims around the world pray five times a day. Even though Ramadan is considered an auspicious period to perform the year-round Umrah pilgrimage, last month, Saudi authorities were forced to suspend it. 
It is also likely the larger Hajj pilgrimage, which draws millions of pilgrims from around the world, will be cancelled for the first time in modern history after Saudi Arabia urged Muslims to temporarily postpone any plans to perform it in July of 2020. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, home to Islam's third holiest site at Al-Aqsa Mosque, announced similar prayer restrictions during Ramadan. These restrictions are in line with the recommendations of the World Health Organization, which has urged countries to stop large numbers of people gathering in places associated with Ramadan activities, such as entertainment venues, markets, and shops. The restrictions have hit businesses hard, including retailers who would normally be preparing for the Ramadan rush. Iran last week allowed some shuttered Tehran businesses to reopen, despite being one of the worst-hit countries in the Middle East. But Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei appealed to Iranians to pray at home during Ramadan, and has even said Muslims worried about their health do not have to fast. To understand better the history and importance of Ramadan to Muslims, and why the pandemic will make this year's Ramadan uniquely challenging, I spoke with Mohammed Abdel Halim, the director of the Center of Islamic Studies at SOAS, University of London. As the Quran tells us, the choice of the month of Ramadan is because the Quran was first revealed to the Prophet Muhammad during the month of Ramadan to give guidance to people. That's what the Quran says. First revelation of the Quran came to the Prophet in a cave near Mecca, towards the, the age of 40. At the end of each year, he will retreat in the cave to contemplate and so on. And on one night, it was happened to be during Ramadan, the month of Ramadan, he was approached during the night by an angel who said to him, read, Iqra. And as we know, he was not known to be a writer or a reader. Most people of his time didn't read or write. So he said, what can I read? I don't read. The angel shook him once, twice, and the third time read to him to repeat after him. First two lines of the Arabic Quran as we have it now. Read in the name of your Lord who created, created man from tiny beginning and read and your Lord is most generous, who taught man what he did not know. That's the beginning of the Qur'an as we have it. This is the story of how the Qur'an's revelation started the tradition of fasting in Ramadan more than 14 centuries ago, according to Muslim beliefs. Muhammad explained to me why even though Muslims are used to spending this time together as a community, the outbreak of the coronavirus means that they must still try to observe their practices using inventive new ways. I think particularly the fast of Ramadan is much connected with spaces because you don't fast as an individual actually. This is part of the whole culture and the history of Ramadan and Muslims that people get together, especially in the evening and at night. It is all communal, so that naturally will be much affected by the restrictions. But you still have to, as an individual, you could do it on your own or within the family at home. You will have to create an atmosphere of Ramadan. Yani, you talk to each other in the, within the family. The head of the family should yani, read some Quran for them. You should teach the children something about Ramadan and the history of Islam and things like that. This is all done during the day and it is part of the, the spirit of Ramadan, this communal spirit and the spiritual atmosphere of reading and praying and contributing to the poor. All this should be done more to compensate for the other yani, general spirit which you get by mixing with people during the day and during the night in Ramadan. 
As is the case with many religions, fasting is a cornerstone of Islamic religious practice. It is one of the five pillars of Islam and mandated by Sharia law. So every adult and able Muslim must do it. Muhammad says charity is also a key aspect of the ethos behind Ramadan. If you bear this test and can restrain yourself from what is essential for you, that hopefully trains you so that you restrain yourself from what is wrong, from doing the wrong things. It gives you a sense of being conscious of God, aware of him, that he is watching you. You fast for God, nobody else, because you can, you see, prayer done in front of people, but fasting, something secretive, something, you, you can go in, in, in the dark or away from people and eat, but no, you are watching, God is watching you. That is a good training for you. It is about charity, really, because if you feel the, the, the pinch of the of fasting and you are hungry, it makes you realize how poor people are suffering because they cannot find food. So hopefully it will make you think of giving them something. That is what and good people should do. In Egypt, religious authorities have banned mosques and street charity tables, which otherwise offer free iftar meals for thousands of vulnerable people breaking the daytime fast. Yet in Turkey, one mosque has turned itself into a temporary food bank for the most vulnerable, in a sign that there are still ways in which Muslim communities can fulfill that charitable spirit of Ramadan without violating social distancing measures. Tedeman Mosque in Istanbul's Sarir district has been closed to mass prayers to limit the spread of the coronavirus, but is now opened as a supermarket where people can go to get groceries and cleaning supplies for free. People can also donate their goods. The sign on the mosque's window asks anyone who can to leave something and urges those in need to take what they're looking for. Abdul Samad Chakir, the 33-year-old imam of the mosque, says he came up with this idea of reaching out to the poor at the place of worship he leads after Turkey suspended prayers in mosques until the risk of the epidemic passes. After the coronavirus outbreak, we thought about what we could do for our brothers and sisters in need, and inspired by our ancestors' culture of the charity stone, we decided to make our brothers in need and our brothers with means meet on our mosque's shelves. Today is our 14th day. Our brothers with means can come to our mosque and leave whatever they want, and our brothers in need can come and take whatever they wish. Uh, Halil is an Istanbul resident who has been taking advantage of the services provided by the mosque. I thank the people who help us in these dire times very much. May God bless them. We are going through difficult times. We don't have any work or anything. We can't find jobs with insurance. So this is really good as we are entering the month of Ramadan. May God bless the people who contribute, who do this. Gülesar Ocak, a 50-year-old woman living in Istanbul, said the initiative was trivial to her livelihood after the pandemic caused her to lose her job. I am really in dire need. My husband doesn't work. I used to clean houses, but since the virus, they no longer call. We have a home, but without any income, we're not doing well, as we don't have any help from social services.
While children of Muslim parents are not expected to fast or pray in Ramadan, many of them this year will find themselves locked up with tired parents unable to entertain them during the long fasting hours. With both quarantined parents and children in mind, some Muslim groups are now thinking of creative ways to keep families busy. In North America and the United Kingdom, groups like the Imam Ghazali Institute and the City of Knowledge Academy started a campaign to create Ramadan-themed playing areas for children, dubbed mini-mosques. The campaign says it wants to encourage parents all over the world to bring joy and happiness to their children and families. According to Mohammed Satour, founding executive director of the Imam Ghazali Institute, the campaign wants to encourage parents all over the world to bring joy and happiness to their children and families by crafting many quote-unquote prayer spaces. The campaign has posted pictures on social media showing toddlers trampling around cardboard mosques and other Islamic-themed shapes in their bedrooms, with watchful parents smiling over them. Others show homemade prayer mats and families wearing traditional religious garments in celebration of the holy month. Almost 4,000 families across more than 15 countries have pledged to join the campaign, sharing their homemade praying spaces online with the hashtag mini-mosque. Under the shadow of the devastating COVID-19 disease, many Muslims are grappling with a host of health-related questions. While Islamic teachings make a lot of allowances for vulnerable people, such as pregnant women or the sick and elderly, many religious Muslims insist on enduring the month-long fast. We spoke to UK-based general practitioner Dr. Milad Healy with some of the most frequently asked questions about fasting, socializing, and maintaining good health under the threat of the virus. So, Milad, many are worried that fasting will make them more likely to get infected with the coronavirus. Does fasting have an impact on the immune system? This is a question I'm getting asked quite a bit these days. People are concerned about fasting in light of what's going on with the coronavirus. But what I do want to say, and I want to reassure everyone, is that there is absolutely no evidence at the moment to suggest that fasting increases your risk of contracting the coronavirus. And actually, on the contrary, there have been some studies which have shown that fasting can boost your immune system. However, it's really important that I emphasize that these studies are limited. What corona-related symptoms should people look out for before deciding to fast? When it comes to fasting, as per Islamic rulings, anyone who is unwell should refrain from fasting. Now, when we say unwell, there's a whole spectrum of what unwell could be, and that's when it's important for each individual who's unwell to speak to their own doctor about their condition and their symptoms. Now, the same rules apply for the coronavirus. But first, let's talk a bit about the coronavirus in terms of the symptoms that you may get. The commonest two symptoms that a person may get with the coronavirus is, firstly, a new persistent cough. This tends to be a dry cough. And the second symptom a person may get is a temperature. If you have either of these symptoms, firstly, it's really important that you follow government guidance and you self-isolate. And if you are unwell, you contact 111. Anyone with a fever should not be fasting. And the reason being is if you have a fever, you need to be drinking fluids regularly and also taking tablets. How can people fasting keep well hydrated and boost their immunity? There's a right way of fasting and a wrong way of doing so. Firstly, it's important to stay as hydrated by drinking as much fluids during suhoor and futur. It's also important to have the right foods in the right size proportions. It's so easy to fall into that cycle of overeating during this month, which can then lead to weight gain and which can obviously impact our health in a negative way. 
Firstly, during Suhoor, it's important we have what we call slowly digesting food. And these are the foods that will provide us with enough energy to see us through the day. And they include complex carbohydrates and fibre-rich food. Complex carbohydrates, they're found in grains, seeds, wheats, oats, beans, lentils, wholemeal flour and basmati rice. As for fibre, it's found in cereals, whole wheat, grains and seeds. Also in vegetables, for example, green beans and almost all fruit. As for iftar, well that should include dates and fruit juices as they can give this burst of energy, particularly after those many hours of fasting. It's important though to mention that um, during iftar we should avoid food which is deep fried or fried and instead try and bake your food, grill it or shallow fry it if you needed to fry. You know, since people are feeling quite stressed about the lockdown and they're feeling quite lonely because they're isolated from their communities and their families. Um, and, you know, I imagine that Ramadan would have been an important social element in people's lives. What advice would you give to those struggling with loneliness and mental health issues during this month? These really are um, unprecedented, challenging, difficult times. Um, people are really struggling with their mental health and loneliness. I'm seeing this in my own job um, day to day when I'm speaking to, to patients. And that's why the responsibility falls upon us as individuals. Each and every single one of us has that responsibility to reach out and ask about our family members, our friends and our neighbours. Even if it means just one message or one phone call. We are actually quite lucky that we live in a day and age where we have access to technology. For example, a lot of people are able to do video calls. And that would be a really good way for people to stay in touch and to interact with each other and maybe carry out some religious rituals through these video um, conferencing calls and um, just to feel united and feel that you are not alone. As for anyone who's really struggling with their mental health, then I urge them to reach out um, for support, whether that's from their doctor, their family doctor, their general practitioner, their GP, or from mental health charities, for example, MIND. So it used to be quite common that people would prepare foods for friends and family to send it over to their homes for iftar. For a number of working people, ordering food from restaurants or takeouts is a lifeline. But are there any particular risks or precautions if people continue to do so? When it comes to food, we have at the moment insufficient evidence to suggest that the virus can be spread through food. Um, and as for the risk of contracting it from packages, that remains extremely low. However, having said that, anyone who does handle any packages, it's important that they wash their hands thoroughly um, using the correct technique and for 20 seconds. Anyone wanting to deliver food for friends or family, that shouldn't be a problem. They should still be able to do that. But it's important to leave that food outside the doorstep. And if they were to open the door, they were to greet you, that you keep that two metre distance and avoiding coming into contact. So always maintaining that social distancing, which has been advised to us by Public Health England. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with us, Dr. Healy. I, I understand it must be a very busy time for you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I pray everyone stays safe and has a very happy Ramadan. Being in a novel situation, many of us at the New Arab Newsroom have been discussing how difficult it will be for us to go through Ramadan this year. So we thought we would share our worries and coping mechanisms, but also our exciting ideas on how we can still enjoy this special time. So I was joined by my colleagues, news writers Ella Linksons, Dania Hajaji and Mel Page to chat about how they're dealing with the loss of religious spaces and access to their communities. 
So, Danya, we spoke earlier about how difficult it was for you once you moved away to Libya and started spending Ramadan and religious holidays away from home, which you said makes you feel a similar sense of loneliness as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, back in Libya, well, first of all, there was, I guess, citywide sense of community because everybody was fasting with you to begin with. Um, so the city's kind of dormant throughout the day, like stores are that aren't grocery shops are closed. Everyone's a little miserable at school and at work, but life goes on. And then at night, the city, like after iftar, the city sort of wakes up and everybody gathers in cafes and restaurants and you meet up with friends and with family and like during and after iftar. So I guess it's a com- community in the sense that like everyone's Muslim. And I guess after leaving um, Libya, it's been a bit more difficult, especially for me, because, you know, after finishing school, um, like high school at 18, I've sort of been moving around on my own. So I wasn't able to like spend it with my family. You know, I would go out into the world while fasting and no one else will be. And knowing that no one else is fasting with me, that's um, it's different. It's not a bad thing, but it's different. Melanella, you guys told me about how it's different to celebrate Ramadan as converts and how that can also translate into finding a community that may not necessarily be available to you as it is with other people who grew up around Muslim families. Mel, why don't you start by telling me what that's like? Uh, like from my perspective, like Ramadan has always been like on one hand, I feel very isolated a lot of the time and it's quite challenging in that respect. But on the other hand, it is a chance to like, I somehow do feel this sense of community, even though I never have like necessarily felt a part of this like wider Muslim community, whatever that means. Because like I became Muslim like six years ago. And I can't fast uh, for health reasons, so I don't have that sense of, like, I'm fasting just like like these millions of other Muslims around the world, which is obviously, like, a very unifying thing. But the parts that I really love about Ramadan and that are, like, really special and you don't get at any other time of year are those, like, that sense of community, like, going and sharing iftar, like, in a huge group, whether it's, like, for example, at the Ramadan tent in London, where, like, an incredibly, like, diverse group of people, and not everyone's Muslim, like, you have people who are experiencing homelessness, you have people who are just, like, students looking for free food, um, you have, like, Muslims from all kinds of different backgrounds, like, sharing a meal together. Yeah, so, um, I've been Muslim for three years, and... I've I've been fasting and sometimes I've been fasting alone like I might be the only one I would, like let's say if I was with my parents who live in the Netherlands I'd be the only one fasting in the house and it's it's hard like you're you're alone in the dark eating suhoor um and then it's just and then you break the fast on your own and you've just spent 16 hours because the fast was so long fasting on your own um, and then I've I've been lucky as well to have had Muslim friends while at uni and now I'm married so I'm fasting with my husband, and um, last year we were able to fast with his family. So I've also experienced it in more of like a family way. And each has their positives and negatives, and it's all it's all kind of part of the package. Um, but this year, I mean, it's going to be completely different. And I'll, I'll really miss, because such a big part of Ramadan is getting that festive vibe that you get. Um, and that comes from being in the mosque, and everyone is so excited, and everyone's a bit tired, but... It's just that feeling of like 
everyone is experiencing this month together. So that will be really strange not to have that. Um, because even like, I was just thinking about what Danya was saying and we're not in Muslim countries, but like fasting last year in London and I would be commuting and I'd be on like my way home from work, so tired and hungry. And I'd look at like another Muslim, like maybe a hijabi or just, and we would just look at each other and just kind of smile and be like, oh, <laughs> well, we're doing this together, you know? Or like, I remember someone gave me their seat on the, on the overground and because they knew I was, they figured I was fasting. So it's like you find this hidden community in non-Muslim countries. Yeah, it'll definitely be different this year. So many of you told me you're planning on finding ways of coping with the changed circumstances. Danya, you told me you're planning on experimenting with some of your favorite dishes. My favorite, my ultimate favorite Libyan dish, which I have not been able to master, um, sadly, just yet, but I'm going to try again this year, uh, is called Rishtad Burma. So it's kind of like this Libyan noodle pasta type thing that's like marinated in this like spicy red sauce with dried chunks inside so i'm gonna try doing that and you're supposed to do it all like in a massive pot i bought a dehydrator for it so i can dehydrate my my beef so yeah no it's i think like at the end of the day right um it's the fact that you have fasted all day you've exercised that self-discipline and then you know, you brush up on your cooking skills, you cook for yourself like a grown woman. You and what that when when you eat, when you can eat and break your fast, it just feels unbelievably rewarding. So I think it'll be fine. Like it'll be okay. Uh, I personally have no idea what I'm gonna do. Um, but <laughs> I am still thinking about it. I need, but I think I need to like find some ways to like exercise that um, that self discipline that you do get from fasting, like in other arenas we like try and quit some unhealthy habits and uh you know read more quran and like try and connect uh more with the religion obviously that's a big part of ramadan as well i think the thing is like in islam you generally like you don't need a mosque like there are not that many occasions where it's you know absolutely required especially if if you're a woman like to go to the mosque but for me it is like a very big part of it because I like I didn't grow up with a Muslim family I still don't have like any kind of Muslim family apart from like my makeshift family which is my friends who I'm right now like disconnected from it is hard to do it without um without like having the mosque or like some other kind of like gathering um but you got to find a way I think in a way, this Ramadan will be special in that we'll have to focus our energy elsewhere. And like, whereas before, it was actually quite easy to get caught up in like going to the mosque or socializing. I think this year it will be a lot about our own personal relationship with God and our own personal relationship with worshiping God. And like, we always fast on our own, you know, that's something you do really like it's yourself fasting, you know. Um, whether you're doing that from food or from other things, like it's it's something you do. Like you can be cheeky and go have a drink of water and with no one looking, you know, like that is really something that you do of your own accord. Um, and I think this year that will be heightened. And I think a lot of people will be meeting over Zoom as well and having iftar together over Skype. And I've seen every Muslim community is putting out classes, putting out talks. So I think a lot of people will be kind of tuning in and having their community fix online. Yeah, it's really great we have the technology to keep us connected. 
I think a lot of people will empathize with your situations, and I hope they can find solace in your words. I also spoke with another member of our team here at The New Arab, Diana Alghul, a vegan journalist and spiritual blogger. She gave me great advice on how to get through the Ramadan period while staying healthy by cooking traditional vegan recipes and tending to one's mental health through mindfulness and spiritual practice. So when you're eating or when you're cooking, you're doing it from a certain place. Are you doing it from, are you eating or cooking from a place of love because you want to nourish yourself? Or is it coming from a toxic place of obsessive calorie counting or feeling a sense of guilt after you eat? And the best way to decipher your spiritual relationship with food, because food is spiritual after all, is how do I feel when I'm eating and how do I feel when I'm cooking? To put it in layman's terms for people who might not be so attuned to their emotions, like mm. what what should people be looking out for? So when you're cooking, just have that simple slow down when you're cooking or when you're eating firstly. Before you're about to eat or before you're about to cook, what is your intention behind this meal? Is your intention to want to lose or put on weight because you feel insignificant about yourself or is the intention to nourish and to become the greatest version of yourself regardless of what that entails that's really interesting you're you're kind of like taking care of the well-being of your feelings as well as the well-being of your body at the same time they go hand in hand really ideally what we should be doing is we should have that approach scattered throughout our whole lives but because our fight or flight mechanism is always on where we find it difficult to sit and just be in the present moment because we're either so anxious about what's going to happen in the future or regretful of the past um, we're unable to allow ourselves to sit be present and just feel and be mindful when you're talking about this I kind of get the feeling that it's very similar to the ethos of Ramadan as a whole it is because Ramadan is all about going from within trying to establish your soul connection with Allah the Almighty the most loving the most merciful so when we do that and when we do it through mindfully eating and through abstaining from food and drink also abstaining from swearing and abstaining from having just bad thoughts in general or just doing bad things then what you're doing is you're forcing yourself in the present moment and you're making yourself observe when we do have those thoughts when we do have those temptations to break our fast and eat because it's getting too much we shouldn't make those or turn those into a reflection of who we are as a person but what our egos are telling us and we should look within ourselves and forgive ourselves and love ourselves through this and say you know what it's okay that I feel like this it's okay that I want to do this it's okay that I'm just so sick of all of this and I just want this all to be over I'm going to keep going because I know that I love myself enough to want to continue to abstain for the greater good and then it just becomes so much more powerful because you take a bad thought or you take something that you traditionally feel guilty for having and then you switch up and then you find yourself that you're actually in your power instead. I think a lot of people will resonate with that. Um, but speaking of important religious and spiritual moments, I think maybe we can move on to speaking about your amazing vegan recipes, which are all the rage on the internet. 
So when it comes to my vegan recipes, I really love to get traditional food. I'm Palestinian and for me, food is a way that I connect with my homeland because my family has been exiled for generations. So being vegan, it's I sometimes find it a bit difficult to make food like msakhan, which is a chicken-based dish, or matloube, which traditionally has meat and chicken, but then there are obviously vegetarian and vegan versions. And so what I like to do is I like to veganize certain foods that I've had from my childhood. So, for example, with msakhan, which is literally um, a type of bread called tabun and sumak and onions and chicken and a lot of olive oil. I like to use mushrooms instead of chicken. And as someone who doesn't really like mushrooms it made me try to learn about the different types of mushrooms so for me it's all about trying to make do with what I have make do with the recipes and the spices and the flavors but then just substituting meat for plant-based ingredients instead a lot of people say to me as an Arab vegan is oh you can't be vegan and Arab at the same time meat is central to our culture but the more you research food, especially when you research food in the Levant region, you see that there are loads of vegetarian and vegan recipes out there. And it means that I'm staying close to, I'm learning more about my culture. Practicing with food helped me adopt this mechanism in so many different parts of my life that I didn't actually think that I would ever have control of. For example, the notion of make do, substitute, be creative. It obviously helped me when it came to eating and when it came to coming up with my recipes. But then it helped me when it came to um, starting my blog and writing about it. I always used to think, oh, well, I don't know enough about spirituality in order for me to sustain my own spiritual blog. And at certain point, I would just give up on writing my own blog. But then when I tapped into that creative part of me with food, it helped me to understand that creativity is universal. It's not just food related. That's really great. I think that's very inspiring. And I would really encourage people listening to this to go to Diana's blog. Do you want to give us um, some details? So my blog address is Diana Algul, D-I-A-N-A-A-L-G-H-O-U-L.com. And my Instagram is Flower Knafe. Knafe is spelt K-N-A-F-E-H. Which is also a type of food. Yeah, it's a Palestinian dessert and it's cheese based mm. but I also found out that there's a vegan version of kanafe in Gaza and that's made out of I think walnuts Ooh. so the more you research the more you find that yes plant-based ingredients and plant-based dishes do exist in very different minute corners of your culture oh my god that's just given me salivation <laughs> <laughs> So before we say goodbye, unfortunately, I wanted to ask you one last wellness hack surrounding, I think you said chia seeds? Yes, um, so it's chia water. If you go on the New Arabs website, I have two different recipes with chia seeds. 
Chia seeds are amazing because they're not only very high in minerals, but what they do is they help retain water. So if you have chia seeds at suhoor, you won't get as thirsty during the day and your body will have a lot of water because the water will be stored inside the chia seeds. So I used to do this every single day during Ramadan last year and it really helped. All you need to do is you get one tablespoon of chia seeds and you mix it in half a litre of water. Let it set for around 15 minutes. It will become semi-jelly, but it will still be liquid enough for you to drink it. And then you drink it and you can just add different types of water inside. Sweet. Thank you so much. Ramadan Mubarak. Stay safe, stay happy and stay present. Tune in next week for part two of this episode, where we'll discuss why Ramadan, despite being a celebration for most, could also be a dark time for some, especially those most vulnerable. We can expect that the quarantines and lockdowns and curfews, measures that are important in the fight against COVID-19, will have a silent pandemic occurring, which is domestic violence, as well as abuse against domestic workers. Thank you for listening to The New Arab Voice. This episode was researched by Ella Linskins and Sara Khalil and produced by myself, Gaia Karamatsa. Remember to subscribe to The New Arab Voice on Google, Apple and Spotify, as well as anywhere else you listen to your podcasts.